0: I remember as a boy, when Veterans Day would come, <clears throat> I would go to the parade that we had in the town where I grew up, and you'd see veterans of all the different wars going all the way back to World War I, and that generation has passed. And now there are fewer and fewer World War II veterans that are left. Uh, but I think we're, we're learning more and more to uh, make up for lost ground. I didn't know enough back then to ask the stories and, and to thank people, but I wonder if we would... Have any who are veterans, if you'd stand for a moment. We just want to thank you. Uh, I know it's not necessarily easy for some of you, but would you stand for a minute? We'd just like to thank you for taking that time of your life. Father, we thank you for these veterans. We thank you for the, the years that were invested in serving our country and also protecting others. We also uh, pray that you will continue to bring healing where there are still scars or, or memories or hurts that are lingering from those times. We pray that your presence will be with each of these who have given up time and resources and sometimes set aside dreams in order to serve others. Thank you for their example. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for their presence with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, this morning we're looking at part two of our When Your World Falls Apart series, or Hope When Your World Falls Apart, and we're going to look at the opening part of Ruth chapter two. So this series is based on the Old Testament book of Ruth. If you've got a Bible, it's uh, right after Joshua and Judges and right before first and second Samuel. And Ruth takes place during an awkward time of transition for the people of Israel. This is Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseers replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the harvesters are working and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men had filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you have noticed me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Let's pray for a moment and we'll start. Lord God, we gather this morning and we acknowledge that you are the God who's created all things and you've given us life and you're the God of the universe. You hold all things in place. And yet we live within a world where people have rebelled against you, and where sin has complicated the picture, and our world is at once beautiful and broken, and sometimes we get caught up in that brokenness. We pray that you will continue to show us how you work in a world that longs to be restored, that longs for those days when you set all things right. So we come to you as a group of people who are continually trying to understand your ways, continually trying to draw near to you that we would know your presence, and calling out to you to minister to us in the brokenness of this world and also to lead us to better days, to days when we see your hand at work and when we are able to trust you more freely, days when we see your grace flowing through us to others as well. And so, Lord, we we pray that you will continue to grant us strength, grant us wisdom. We pray for those who are part of this church that you will increase our boldness to live for you first, to love you openly, and tell others about what we're learning. We pray that you will grant us strength and healing in our lives where we are dealing with the suffering and the illnesses and the challenges of life. We think of Gail as she goes through her chemotherapy rounds, and we ask that you will bless her and give her strength day by day. We think of Matt who fell yesterday and broke one of his vertebrae, and we pray that you would bring healing into his life as well. Thank you for the care that he's getting today. We also ask that uh, you will continue to walk with each of us. There are unspoken needs that are in our midst and that we carry with us in here today. We pray that you will grant us your presence and that will drive away loneliness. We pray that you'll give us your strength and that it'll give us courage to go through the day. We pray for your wisdom to face the challenges that uh, many people face here today, whether it's uh, leading others at work or whether it's solving problems in the world around us or whether it's dealing with a difficult neighbor. We pray that you will continue to allow us to absorb and to learn and then to go out and to apply the things that you are teaching us day by day. Sharpen us, make us wiser, make us stronger. In Jesus' name, amen. Don Bartlett grew up in a Native American home. He was a Chippewa by birth, and he was severely disabled with a speech impediment and a deformed face that made his life difficult. He survived years of loneliness, poverty, hunger, family alcoholism, bullying by his peers, physical abuse from his father, racism, prejudice, and even sexual assault. Twelve years of this kind of life left him bitter, angry, and broken. But the unconditional love and acceptance of one person made all the difference for him. Out of her love for Jesus, a white woman from a nearby church began to show Don the gentle love of God, the first time he'd ever explored any of this or encountered any of this in his life. And then she taught him how to talk. He'd not been able to because of this severe impediment. How to read, how to learn, and to see that he had potential for life. She eventually began to advocate for him and helped him find the best doctors and surgery that literally rebuilt his face and his teeth and his lips. And she challenged him then to go back to school and to keep learning. Even though he'd been set back for so many years, she told him, You have a mind and you have a story and it needs to be told. And so, into his 20s, he finally graduated from high school, and she pushed him to go on, and he went to college. He went all the way through to the point where he earned a PhD, and today, Don has been speaking publicly for 40 years as a social worker, counselor, educator, and public speaker about the grace of God and how God can transform even lives that seem like everybody else has thrown you away and have given up. Here's the point of that story one person who knows the love of God can make the impact of a lifetime. I listened to a tape of Don earlier this year speaking at a Christian university and giving this story in a chapel talk and trying to encourage students 18 to 21, 22 years old that their lives matter no matter how much brokenness has come and that God can do great things through anybody. So good morning. We start with that particular assertion on that news because it's relevant to what we're going to talk about today. This morning we're looking at part two of Hope When Your World Falls Apart. This short series is based on observations from the Old Testament book of Ruth. It's a story of two women who suffer through an incredible season of personal loss that seemed like their world had fallen apart. Yet their story is about moving from hopelessness to hope, from bitterness to better days filled with God's mercy. So welcome to North River Church, and let me welcome all of you who are watching online today as well. We may be separated by miles or sometimes even by regions and states, but through the marvels of technology, we are one church in several locations. So we thank God for the technology that allows us to function as a hybrid congregation. Here's the question that we're asking and pursuing this morning. How does God move people out of hopeless times? Our topic this morning is starting over in a new season. As we come to chapter 2 of this Old Testament book of Ruth, we do so when Ruth and Naomi make their way to Bethlehem and we read in the last verses of chapter 1 that they arrived at the beginning of the harvest season. That is signaling to us that there's a new season in their lives. They've known radical brokenness. They've known the, the separation and the rejection from all other people around them. They've known devastating loss but they're entering into Bethlehem and back into Judah as a new season unfolds. Here's the main idea that I want to get across this morning. It's a really good one. God replaces hopelessness with His wings of refuge when we trust Him. I'll unpack that as we go through this story. A couple of reminders for any of you who have forgotten what we talked about last week or who missed last Sunday. I'd invite you to go back and and watch that on our website. But two reminders from last week. The first is the entire book of Ruth takes place during a season of crisis. We saw that the account of Ruth and Naomi takes place during the Judges period, which was about a 300-year period from the time that the people had entered into the Promised Land under the leadership of Joshua and before the anointing of Saul as the first king of Israel. This season of crisis included religious distress, military distress, and economic distress. The second reminder is that God cares about hopeless people. Our world needs to hear this. This is what the God of the Bible communicates to us. He cares about people who have had the hope literally kicked out of them. And Ruth and Naomi are two of those people that we discover in the Bible. This is not an account of the high and mighty or highly successful people. The book of Ruth is about two widows still grieving three profound personal losses. If you're a person who's grieving over loss, you need to realize there is a book of the Bible that represents people like you and people who are going through the same kind of hurt and pain that you are carrying. God knows what you're going through and He cares about what you're going through. He would not have put this book in the Bible if that were not so. They leave the land where they have no future and they come to a land that still has a difficult past for them. This past included a famine that wrecked the family's income, farmland that was lost to unmanageable debt, and a hint of spiritual compromise by the father of the family. This hint comes from the name of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech, which means either my God is king or God is my king. So a 10-year sojourn into Moab led the family from economic poverty to a point of deep spiritual poverty. In other words, Mr. God is my king went looking for a better deal outside the land that God had promised to bless for Jewish people, and after 10 years of living outside of that land in a culture that despised Israel's God and Israel's people, they were in trouble. And Naomi, his widow, as we meet her at the end of chapter 1, is filled with bitterness toward God. So again, our question this morning is, how will Ruth and Naomi move out of hopelessness and toward blessedness? I'd like to point out to you four signs of God at work behind the scenes that rise through chapter 2 of Ruth. Here's the first one. God works through personal determination. He often works when we seize hold of an opportunity and we are determined to take advantage of that opportunity, however slight that is. Verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. It is at this point that we see Ruth's determination to seek God's favor. First, we see that Ruth went out into the fields to find food. Please don't simplify this as Ruth's willingness to start at a bottom level job. There's nothing uh, wrong with starting at the bottom. I've done that. Many of you have done that too. But Ruth went to glean leftover grain in the harvest fields. This was hard work for the poor. Old Testament law had instructed farmers not to go back after grain in the corners of the field or if they missed a little strand of grain to leave that and just keep going and to allow the poor to come after they've been doing the harvest and to pick over those leftovers. The leftovers weren't a lot. The leftovers were meager. And often the farmers didn't like seeing people come onto their privately owned fields and picking the grain that maybe they could have gone back and they could have scooped up and they could have counted as part of the harvest. Especially they didn't like it when there are people who they did not know or people from other lands who are coming onto their property and picking their grain. And yet, the Old Testament had told people this is what generous people who have the heart of God do. They provide at different times for those who or down and out, those who are poor, those who are struggling to survive. This made this kind of work one full step below the bottom rung on the job market. And so Ruth comes along and she hopes to collect bits of leftover grain from the harvesters whose job is to gather as much as they can. Just think about that for a minute. Second, look at Ruth's declaration. She says, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I may find favor." Ruth is hoping that someone will look kindly on her and not kick this foreigner out. She has figured that landowners may not look kindly on a Gentile hanging around that they don't know. And knowing that Ruth had committed herself to Naomi, Naomi's God and Naomi's people, she was hoping that God would allow her to find favor with someone by working hard on Naomi's behalf. This equation of personal determination plus seeking God's favor drives the story forward. So Ruth asks for permission to glean in the fields, and she works through the heat of the day ceaselessly. Her determination is noticed by the foreman and by the owner of the fields. So let's acknowledge something. Let's acknowledge the high value that the Bible places on personal effort. We're never saved because of our hard work, or loved more by God because of it, yet hard work is one of the keys to the reversal of hopes that impacts this particular family. God often uses our effort and involves us in the story. Think of Moses when Moses said, I don't have any great gift and you want to lead me? And God says, what's that in your hand, Moses? Well, he'd been a sheep farmer. He says, it's a staff. And God says, fine, I'll use that. And at different times, God tells him to hold out that staff. And he does great things through The opportunities that were right before him and the tools that were in his hand. And here we find an opportunity that Ruth has to go out among the poor and to gather grain. So the first way that we see God at work is that God works through Ruth's personal determination. Here's the second way that we see God at work. By preparing people of standing. Verses 1 and verse 3 introduce us to Boaz. Verse 1 says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. A man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech was the deceased husband of Naomi, whose name was Boaz. Verse 3 picks this up. So she went out, entered into a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. As chapter 2 begins, we are told three things about Boaz. First, Boaz was a relative. This is a Hebrew term that's used here. It's the word yada. If you remember Seinfeld, they used to say yada, yada, yada. Yada means to know. So this man Boaz was known by the family of Elimelech. He may have had some vague recollection of Elimelech before he left and went to the land of Moab. Second, he was, a, he was from the clan on Elimelech's side of the family. This will turn out to be important that they are from the same clan. Therefore, there's some kind of responsibility he has. And later on, more will be unfolded about what this responsibility was. But the most consequential detail in this chapter is that Boaz is described as a man of standing. Now, why does the narrator use this particular phrase, a man of standing? It's used a handful of other places in the Scriptures, and it usually describes a warrior or someone of great strength. Think of Joshua. Joshua, the general of God's armies who's going to lead the people into the land of Canaan, is described as a man of standing with this same term. It often meant that the person had wealth or respect. Most of all, it was describing a person of great character. The name Boaz in Hebrew, uh, Boaz itself it comes from a word that means strength. And so we see him act with character and strength in a handful of scenes throughout this particular uh, book of the Bible. During the 10 years that Naomi's family had been gone, God was at work. We don't necessarily see this until this moment, but God was at work in shaping the character of Boaz so that Boaz had become a man of standing. We will come to discover that he was wealthy, he was wise, and he was welcoming. One of the great things that he does with, with Ruth is that he welcomes her to his fields rather than acting as an owner who's threatened for some reason that this foreigner who nobody knows is all of a sudden in the fields and he notices her work and he, he, he recognizes what she has done. He asks questions to discover more about her and he welcomes her will you do me one favor? Will you turn around to somebody? You don't have to get up out of your seat. Will you just welcome somebody? It's one of the best things that we can do. Let people know, even if you're here for the first time, you are welcome, and I'm welcoming you. It is an act of strength when you welcome somebody who's new into the family of faith. There's another interesting term that tells us that God was directing Ruth's steps here. The Hebrew uses both a verb and an adverb back to back that come from the same root, so it's kind of redundant. It comes out in verse 3 in this phrase it says, as it turned out, she found herself working in the field of Boaz. This phrase, as it turned out, literally, if it was to be interpreted literally from the Hebrew, means her chance chanced or she happened to happen upon. There's a redundancy that's built into that. It's meant to draw our attention to this, but it's kind of lost in the translation into English. A classmate of mine in college put it this way, literally, her hap happened, her chance chanced. I love that. You know, it's awkward, but it's saying, there's something going on here, as if to say, this isn't all just by accident. She didn't know whose field she was going into, but God did, and God was orchestrating her steps one by one. This combination suggests that Ruth didn't go to Boaz's field on purpose hoping to, to hook him in some way. Rather, the Lord was opening up opportunities and opening up steps according to his plan. As Ruth demonstrated her determination to do what little she could, God directed her steps. Folks, sometimes that's all God asks us to do, is to go through whatever door he opens up and to move through that door because hope is on the other side of that door, however slight that is. Look for the signs that God is at work, that God is moving, that God is opening up doors. Look for the people that God is putting in your pathway. One of the things that I have learned to do over time is when I'm praying for some people who have kind of lost their way and their their lives have, have wandered around, I keep praying that God will put someone that He has been preparing in their pathway from whom they can hear truth, from whom they can receive love. It's one of the greatest things that you can do for the prodigals in your life. You cannot control everything that happens. But you can pray that God will provide a person of standing, a man of standing, a woman of standing, a man of character, a woman of character, and put them in their pathways. When your kids go off to college and you're worried about who's going to lead them down the wrong pathway, pray that God will put a person of standing in their pathway from whom they can hear His truth, the same things that they've heard here, and God will continue to revive those seeds of memory that are already there. And Boaz becomes that man of standing. By the way, we learned that God is doing that with all of us. Years ago when we went through the 40 days of purpose, we learned that we are being shaped to serve If you are a Christian who is alive to Christ, God is not passively standing by you. He is shaping you and refining you and transforming us according to his purpose. And he has assignments waiting for all of us, seeking to bless other people through us because he has children all over this world who are waking up in need in different places saying, God, there must be somebody out there who can help me. Will you put somebody in my path? And when you pray, God, use me today. He has assignments if our eyes are open for us to do the little things that become great sources of hope in somebody else's life. And if we bail out on his work of shaping and refining us, we are missing seeing God work through us. God works through personal determination, God works by preparing people of standing. Here's the third sign that we see that God is at work in this scene He works through opportunity based on character. Notice how how Boaz responds to Ruth when he meets her. In verse 8, it says, So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go out and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. He goes on to say, Watch the field where the harvesters are working and follow after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. Whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. He'll actually do more than that. He'll he'll tell her to come and eat lunch with them, and the the food that he's prepared for the workers he shares with her. Now, what is Boaz doing? First, he does not give her a handout, he gives her a hand up, and that's so important. He preserves her dignity in the process. He tells her to continue doing the poor person's work by gleaning in the fields, but he eases the burden a bit. He tells the workers, Let her do this. In fact, Don't lay a hand on her. Later on, he'll even tell them, pull some out of your bundles and drop them in the path. She'll think that she's doing all the work, but bless this woman because she is taking care of this older relative of mine named Naomi. And God is going to prepare, is going to to provide for this family through this kind of work. He even tells her to drink from the water jars that have been provided for the workers And he gives her an opportunity to work in peace with increasingly favorable treatment. Ruth is stunned by this treatment. Verse 10 says, At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you have noticed me, a foreigner? The dialogue acknowledges the expectation of poor treatment. But Boaz tells her he has instructed the men not to lay a hand on her. Think for a minute, why would that be necessary? Only because it's tipping us off that very often the workers were annoyed by the poor, were annoyed by the immigrant, were annoyed by the foreigner who came along to pick grain, and Boaz said, that's not going to be the character of my team. You work on my team, we're going to bless these folks. We're going to provide for them. We're going to be large-hearted. And Boaz provides us a tremendous example of the employer who sets the tone for the way the culture should be shaped. And so she asks, why have I found such favor in your eyes? She's blown away. Boaz then reveals that this opportunity is based on character observed in Ruth. Boaz replies, I have been told... He's been asking. He's been watching. I have been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and you came to live with a people you did not know before. Remember those words that that Ruth said in chapter 1. I will go where you go and I will stay where you stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. This Ultimate act of the deepest kind of commitment. She's embracing Naomi as family, no longer by blood, but by choice, and she's embracing Naomi's God. And even though Naomi is bitter and sees no hope for her future, Ruth is moving forward in this new faith because she sees the opportunity that God is providing. And Boaz recognizes that. Boaz is the one who tells us that Ruth has made good on that promise. He says, I have been told about all you have done for your mother-in-law, how you left your homeland. Her people are your people now, and her God is your God. And Boaz notices the character at work in Ruth and decides that he wants to be part of her story. Ruth took the initiative. God blessed her work. Boaz noticed her character and wants to shine a light on what God is doing. Sometimes God blesses us through opportunities. Rather than just giving us a handout, he opens a door for us to use the gifts and the talents and the resources that we have. And he sees the character of Ruth shining through and Boaz has to add to the story. But then there's one final way that we see God at work here. God is at work through wings of refuge. What a beautiful phrase this is. In verse 12, Boaz goes on and he says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz commends Ruth here in verse 12. He says, Three things. First, may the Lord reward you for what you have done. Then, with a bit of redundancy, he adds to that, he adds, May you be richly rewarded, not just rewarded, but richly rewarded. And then he uses this very descriptive phrase under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This was Boaz's way of noticing that Ruth had completely bought into God's way. And he employs a word picture, an idiom that pictures God as a mother eagle. God is big enough, God Uh, is not a male like a human being, but God is described in masculine terms, but God is also sometimes described in feminine terms, and this is one of those times where God God is pictured as a mother eagle who spreads out those wings and welcomes those in who have been broken and surrounds them with strength and with warmth and with depth and with belonging and God spreads his wings as if to provide shelter and protection for those who come into this safe place. And Boaz is telling Ruth that not just his fields have become a safe place, but coming unto the shelter of God himself becomes the safe place where she will be nourished and protected and provided for. What a beautiful, wonderful picture this is, that our God is at work in creating these opportunities to discover his wings of refuge. If you were looking for signs of spiritual conversion in the story of Ruth, this is it. Earlier, Ruth had said the words of commitment, your people will be my people and your God my God. Now Boaz makes a spiritual observation that Ruth is resting under the wings of God. She trusted that God would provide through his people and through his guidelines. Guidelines that even governed the way that they harvested the fields. And look at the impact. Naomi had started out bitter at the beginning of the scene and now is experiencing the goodness of God through Ruth's faith and commitment. A little while later in verse 20, as Ruth unfolds the story of what happened that day in the fields, Naomi speaks up. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Naomi's faith is now being reawakened. She responds with her realization that the Lord had not stopped showing his kindness to her family. This kindness is the Hebrew word chesed. It literally speaks of God's covenantal love and mercy, not because somebody's earned it, but because God has chosen and covenanted with his people to bless them with this radical grace and mercy. It's a word that speaks of love and mercy and coming under the covenantal agreement of God to bless his people. And God's chesed love is breaking out over Ruth and over Naomi the mercy of God brings joy and faith. Now, here's what I love about Ruth. Last, like we, last week we talked a little bit about what we love about Naomi. Naomi was bitter and discouraged, blaming God when we meet her. Then Naomi hears that God has come to the aid of his people in Bethlehem. And she took the only step that she could muster. She put herself on the road toward hope. She refused to stay stuck And she put herself on that road, and her Moabite daughter, Ruth, goes with her. And we we don't think much about that in the first chapter, except for Ruth's words of commitment. But here in chapter 2, Ruth starts as an outsider, an outsider to God, to God's people, and to faith. And yet Ruth adopts Naomi's family and Naomi's God. She's all in. And at each step, she moves forward with personal determination and character. And Boaz sees this as evidence that Ruth has taken refuge under the Lord's wings. She has bet everything that she has on the Lord's goodness to those who follow him. And Ruth's faithfulness is met by the Lord's loving kindness, his mercy that blesses them all. Okay, why is this relevant to us today? Well, it becomes relevant when we remember that God cares about the hopeless. Whatever you are going through, it becomes So powerfully relevant when we recognize that God comes to the aid of His people. It's always at the right time and in the right way. We often don't see the hand of God and why He does what He does until He unfolds His plans. When we put ourselves on the road that leads to hope, when we act with determination to seek the Lord's favor, God replaces hopelessness with His wings of refuge and mercy. You're going through a hard time. If you're alone, if you're still grieving, we honor that. If you're still recovering over the wounds and the memories and the PSD that comes from being at war, know this. When you come under God, He surrounds you like with eagle's wings, and He grants you safety and space. And he is surrounding you, even in the midst of your hurt and your pain. You are not alone. God is at work. And he draws you close. The question is, will we trust God to lead us in a whole new spiritual start wherever you find yourself today? So we started with this thought, and we'll end with this thought. God replaces hopelessness with his wings of refuge when we trust Him. Maybe you need to come under the wings of God's refuge. You've been carrying the burden alone rather than turning it over to Him. Maybe you've been trying to figure out how do I take those first steps of faith and trust God as my Savior rather than doing it my own way. You need to come under His wings of refuge again. I printed a short prayer in the bottom of your notes if you have them. It's going to pop up on the screen as well. I wonder if you would all pray this with me uh, out loud. And here's why. Because even if you don't need to pray this prayer, somebody else does, and by you praying with us, it gives them the courage to say the words and mean it from the heart that allow people to have a whole new start in trusting their lives to God. Let's do this together. Lord, I want to start new and fresh in faith again today. I am tired of being an outsider. I'm laying down my rebellious ways. I choose to put my trust in You and in Your Son, Jesus, Show me your loving kindness and give me the determination to follow in your ways. Amen. And I have news for you. If you prayed that prayer, God hears and God will begin to work in your life. Your responsibility is to draw near to Him and find the people of character and standing that He's placed in your pathway. And let them help you take next steps. And he will lead you from hopelessness to a hope that transforms every predicament, every challenge, every obstacle in this world. This is what God does. This is how God is at work then. And this is how God is at work behind the scenes even today. May God go with you.